This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. This is the Mikado and Manning podcast where we get together to chat about television, usually drama, but there's a few other things on the menu today. Welcome back, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, James. Good to be with you again um, for our second uh, get-together this year. There's a lot going on. You've been, uh, you've given me a list of a couple of things you wanted to cover off today. Now, top of the list, Dancing with the Stars, All Stars, launched, I think, a week ago on Seven. Yeah. Had a really interesting piece about it by um, Sunday Telegraph, Daily Telegraph columnist Annette Sharp. Tell me about that. Well, she basically was having a go about Daryl Summers hosting the show Um, and kind of her thesis was she actually did, she looked at all the personalities that are on seven and nine and looked at the ages and came up with an average age that all those presenters were, you know, in their 50s, which is something that we wouldn't have thought. Like once upon a time, you know, particularly for women, once you got into your 40s, you were off TV. But I guess Annette Sharp's point was that TV is ageing and they, she specifically made the point that they haven't invested in young talent. And the fact that we still have Daryl Summers hosting this show after all these years uh, is is a, a sign that she says that, Free-to-air TV is in a bit of a death spiral, according to her view. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I don't agree with her the overall thesis that that it's in a death spiral, but she is right in a little way that there's maybe not investing in youth. I, yeah. I, I concede that point, but it's interesting how the dynamics changed, hasn't it? Because would it be like a decade, 15 years ago, there was... Lots of columns about how older people, particularly older women, there's no room for them on TV. Yeah. Now, it's going around the criticism is there's people are too old. So I'm a little bit sensitive about that myself. And, And, you know, let's be truthful here. How much do we want TV channels to invest in young talent? when there's no more young audience for a lot of free-to-air. I mean, let's look at the stats. I mean, you only have to talk to young people of a certain age. They don't watch TV at all. They don't have TVs. They don't have TV aerials. They're not interested. It's not something they talk about. Uh, You know, they might hear about a show like Married at First Sight and be watching it on the catch-up service, but, you know, they, they have not... There's a couple of generation of kids now that aren't watching TV at all. And the TV business, we look at those eyeballs, they're ageing. And, you know, all the time we see shows getting cancelled because, oh, they attract an older audience base and nobody wants that. But you know what? If this is the future, then networks need to accept that their viewers are getting older and they need to start getting advertisers that want to advertise to those older viewers if they want to save their business model. And the other thing they need to do is they need to fix their free catch-up sites. I've been watching 10 Plus recently, James, and... 
they still put in the same amount of commercial breaks on those shows as if they were screening on TV. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I've watched TV with ads all my life and I've always expected there to be ads. But when I'm seeing the same ad 10 times in a one-hour episode of a show on 10 Play, which sometimes includes the same ad being repeated three times in a row during the same commercial break. Like, seriously, if you don't have the advertisers yet for your free catch-up services, how about doing what Nova did all the years ago on radio? Remember when they launched and their catchphrase was never more than two ads in a row? They made that a selling tool for you to come to their radio station and you've still got all these free catch-up sites with these annoying ad breaks that aren't going to bring young people to their platforms unless they do something about it. Yeah, I mean, I should point out that Nova had to abandon that never more than two ads in a row eventually. But but it was but you a can great abandon great. it down the track, can't you? While you've got not that many advertisers, which clearly the catch-up sites don't seem to have at the moment, why not use that to your advantage to get the eyeballs in there? Yeah, I mean, um, we've talked about it before too. SBS on demand's a bit of yeah. guilty like that. They'll repeat they guilty. Sometimes two in a row. Yeah. Um, just back to quickly that thing about Channel 7 and um, Annette Sharp. I jotted down a few of the people and their ages that she singled out. So Daryl was the oldest at 70, uh, Sonia Kruger, 56, Larry Emder, 57, Koshi, yeah. 65, Natalie Barr, 53, Kylie Gillies, 54, Sam Armitage was the youngest at 45, uh, Joe Griggs, 48, and uh, Mark Ferguson at 55. Yeah. I mean, so all those people have still got, I think, a good TV career ahead of them. I mean, yeah, know. absolutely. <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody in the ranks below them, as she pointed out, that's <laughs> climbing up the ladder to get their jobs anyway, is there? Well, I think there are younger people, and I think younger people who are working in the media and whether it be on social or on radio, um, other sort of digital video. I think we see some of them migrate to television as they get older. Yes. You know, I mean, they go where the audience is. I mean, when, you know, people might tend to watch more TV when they get older. I would imagine that will continue to happen, but you would think so, but you don't know. I mean, you know. Oh. Well, it's not going to happen if you're a 20-something now and you don't watch TV now. You're not going to suddenly decide in 20 years' time, oh, I think I need a TV aerial now. If, you, if it's not part of your life now and they can't find a way, if TV can't find a way to make themselves more attractive to young people, who's going to be watching them in the future when all us oldies die off? Yeah. Well, I think people will be watching Bevod or, you know, on-demand content unless TV really gets it wrong, but, you know, anything could happen. Now, look, a friend of yours has been on another reality show, SAS Australia. Yes, yeah. So I had a lot of trouble watching SAS Australia because Melissa Couts is someone that I worked with uh, on a show for many years. She's the loveliest person. She's so professional. She's always on time, always knew her lines, never caused a drama, never complained. And to watch her on that show doing something that's so difficult and seeing 
the fear in her eyes and seeing her crying, I found that really, really difficult to the point where I had to turn off and come back at the end when she was being grilled by Aunt Middleton. You know, SAS Australia is pretty harrowing most of the times, but when it's somebody that you actually know, my God, I just, I understand. I remember once Amanda Keller saying to me that she couldn't watch Dancing with the Stars after she'd been on Dancing with the Stars because every person who danced, she could feel their pain and their anxiety of what they were going through. So, yeah, it's all fun and games until you actually know somebody, I guess, in that situation or know what it's like. Yeah. It's been an interesting week for a number of reasons on SAS Australia. The one thing that caught my attention, I think it was Wednesday night, uh, the week we're recording this, Seven sent out a press release with the C word in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> the C word uttered by Mr. Paulie Fennick. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, they didn't print it all. They just referred to it as the C. I think they had, they just called it C word. I might have had C dash dash dash. Well, there. Yeah. I checked with my seven contacts, and apparently that is the first time that um, wow. C word has officially gone out in a company press release. Wow, wow. So, yeah. Now, um, what's happening on Home and Away? Something interesting. Yeah. Home and Away um, has had some episodes recently where they've had the their Maori family, those boys, they've actually introduced an episode where they've brought in some Maori culture and, uh, you know, the older character is uh, teaching him some of the basics to help him with an issue. And it's interesting to see a storyline like that on Home and Away. And uh, I applaud them for doing it. And I remind them that it would be great. It's great that they're doing that with Maori culture for their New Zealand viewers and the people who watch around the world. It'd be great sometime in the future if uh, someone from Yabby Creek turned out to be Indigenous and maybe they could do a similar story with some Indigenous culture. Yeah, now that they're there and they're doing it, you can fold in important things like this into your story if you if you do it cleverly and uh, they've started doing it and and I hope to see a little bit more of it there. Yeah, no, it's great to see. Great to see. Um, some people doing a lot of good work with diversity and telling lots of different stories as SBS, of course. Um, they've sort of had their upfront this week, but it was really just a press release upfront. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they postponed their event they normally have in about November. They were going to hold it, I think, in February. But then I think the sort of we're still on the borderline of, you know, lockdowns with COVID. We're not completely, you know, clear yet. So they felt a bit more comfortable about, look, we just won't have it this year. We'll just push out the information about our new shows. Yeah. Now you're a big fan of Eurovision. One of the one of the um, early things that they talked about on the upfront is on. I think this weekend is it? Yeah, this Saturday night will be the Australia Decides their live event they do from the Gold Coast. You know where we get to choose uh, by you know, voting online or ringing, whatever it is. We get to vote, as does every other country in Eurovision, uh, what is our favourite song that should go represent us, I think, in Italy this year. Uh, So, yeah, I'll be watching on Saturday night. I I love a bit of a Eurovision event. Um, And good luck to everyone who's participating this year. They might actually get to go this time. 
Well, yeah, hopefully. Let's hope uh, Europe's in a, a calm enough state to be able yeah, to travel true. around the joint. True. Um, now, if you've listened to this podcast after that goes to air, you can, of course, uh, catch up with uh, Eurovision Decides Australia at SBS On Demand. A few other things that grabbed my attention from the upfront. Speaking of SBS On Demand, can you believe they've actually got 10 million registered users now? Wow. I just find that staggering. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when you think about them as being, when you think about the, you know, you always think of them kind of fifth, don't you? You think yeah, 7, yeah. 9, 10, ABC, and then SBS. So it's always been the fifth network. Um, but then you get a stat like that because, but see, this is the thing, James. ABC iView and SBS On Demand decided a long time ago that they were going to really go hard with their BVOD and these are the results. It's paying off. They went hard when the free-to-wares weren't doing anything on their catch-up sites and this is what happens when you get into the market early, right? Yeah, I mean, understandably, I guess free-to-air was worried about the financial implications. How do we monetize it? You know, it's going to take a while to build those numbers. Um Subsequently, you know, seven, nine, and also ten to a lesser extent have stopped, <clears throat> have built sizable um, um, audiences, registered user bases. But that ten million for SBS, yeah, that's staggering, and it's and the the depth of content there is just an amazing resource. It's incredible. Yeah, I think once you lock into it and realise how many international dramas they have there, uh, you know, I mean, a show like The Handmaid's Tale, for example, would have brought so many people to the platform for the first time. But then if you uh, like hard-hitting drama and you start looking at what else they've got there, I mean, they've got, we we know, they've got amazing shows. You, You could be watching it forever almost. Yeah. One of those amazing shows is something we talked about um in the previous podcast, The Responder, with Martin Freeman. Yeah, right. Um, SBS have acquired that and it's yep. going to be screened on March 16. So um, I'll say it again. Look, you've just got to catch this show. I think it's such a tour de force and uh, Martin Freeman is just really good in it. It's called The Responder? The Responder, Yeah. Right. March 6th. I'm not sure if they'll put all the episodes on SBS On Demand. I've got a feeling maybe not. They'll they'll want you to come back week after week and then, then they'll probably put, pop them all up if you'd rather binge them all at once. Yeah. Which you'll probably want to do because it gets a bit frustrating waiting for those um those subsequent issues to tick over. Now, a couple of dramas, a couple of big, I think there's about six dramas. Four of them are going to be digital short form Productions, but two really interesting things. Um, Safe Home from Imogen Banks. Yep. Um, sounds really good. I'll be looking forward to that one. And the other one's True Colour from um, Bunya Productions, the people who made Mystery Road. Yeah, that'll be, again, coming from such a great pedigree. Uh, you know, I, I love the way that SBS make Australian dramas but fulfil their multicultural charter by going, you know, who can we put in this show? You know, last year they did The Unusual Suspects with um, Filipino-Australians in it. They did New Gold Mountain from a Chinese perspective of the Gold Rush era. It's They just have they just got really interesting perspectives by trying to be inclusive and it, it makes for a better drama. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They've got a new channel coming and yet another SBS uh, multi. It's going to be called SBS World Watch. Yep. And I think it's dedicated pretty much to um, news bulletins from, I don't know, 30, 60 different countries, but there's a lot of different news bulletins. I, I can't remember the number. So basically a, a multicultural news channel, if you like. Yeah. Um, the World Cup football they've got on this year, controversially for some coming from Qatar, yeah. uh, all, all 64 games are going to have that. And now this one always intrigues me, the cook-up with Adam Liao, mm-hmm. right? The, the initial commission, I think, was 200 episodes, which which staggered me at the time. And what have they done now? They've ordered another 200 episodes. Wow. So I think that's got to be one of the biggest commissions ever in the world, you know. It's just amazing. That's huge. Oh, well, what is it? Is it is, that, is Adam Liao such a great guy that he can churn through so many, is it, you know, can he make 10 episodes a day or something? Is there something in that production? Yeah, I, I want to do a set visit actually and just yeah. quiz him about that because I'm sure it would be fascinating the whole production, how they put it all together and, yep. and and bang them out, you know. But I'm guessing there must be a pretty good market for this program internationally too. Yeah. Uh, I think it would do really well because, you know, a good food show, you know, that finds a bit of an audience, the, the thing broadcasters want is, is lots of episodes. Well, in this one, you you certainly got lots of episodes. If you if you find it, if you engage with an audience, you can yeah. just keep it coming and coming. Uh, yeah, SBS is also going to have the free to air debut of Nine Perfect Strangers. Wow. Okay. Mm. Mm. So it's interesting. If you look closely, I'm seeing a bit of that happening. I'm noticing that stuff that's premiering on Paramount Plus is very quietly uh, making its way to MTV. Um, if you've got cable TV, I noticed that Madonna concert, Madame X, uh, did it, and I noticed that next uh, next week MTV are going to start screening Queen of the Universe, which was the drag queen singing show hosted by Graham Norton. Um, that was fantastic, and it just finished, and boom, it's uh, it's there to watch uh, on MTV if you've got that channel next week. Yeah, yeah. Um- now, you mentioned um, MTV, of course, part of the now parent company, now rebranded as Paramount. Yes. Um, something they've, they've got coming up, although they're not the commissioner of this, it's um, Celebrity Gogglebox, but they have the free-to-air part of the deal. It's commissioned by Foxtel from Endemol Shine Australia. I think Foxtel gets it Wednesday nights. Uh, 10 gets it the next night on Thursday. Seems to be a model that's working for them, but we haven't seen it replicated anywhere else, though. What? what, what? You, you mean in terms a model of whereas a subscription TV makes a show yeah. and sells it to free to air yeah. the following day? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? it it's still Gogglebox is still the only show to do that. Yeah. You're right. No one else has kind of joined in and gone, yeah, let's do a co-production on this and share the show. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed that the it's this season of Gogglebox is going to kick off with a one-off celebrity edition. Yeah. You know, a whole bunch of people are pairing up, Luke McGregor and Celia Picola, um, and, yeah, a bunch Amish of people. Blake. Um, Amish Blake and Zoe, Zoe Foster. Foster well. Yep. Julia Morris and Nazim Hussain. Yes, very good. Dave Hughes and his wife, Holly. 
Right. The Holly used to be a journo for the Herald Sun, of course. Um, Matt Preston and Lockie Hume. Did you say that already? No, I didn't. Yeah. Um, Alex Perry, Joe Bailey, and uh, Shy. Was it Cheyenne Totsi? Right. Model. Being yeah. in trio. Yeah. So that so that's just a one-off, is it? I th- yeah, it, my understanding is that it's a one-off and then we'll go straight into a brand-new series of Gogglebox after that. I okay. guess it's an audition to see how the celebrity version goes because uh, overseas they'll quite often do a regular version of Gogglebox and then follow with a series of celebrity Gogglebox. That's in the UK. I noticed the American one that we saw here was very generic. It was shows that, you know, you could play it at any time. Um, the, the celebrity ones seemed to be generic i always think the goggle box works better when they're watching shows from last week and it's very timely and you're getting those reactions you know as they happen now i've got a question for you about goggle box um i've got some friends who are obsessed by the uk series of goggle box they can just watch it endlessly yeah old episodes new episodes they don't care they yeah. just think it is so good do you do you enjoy the, the UK one? Yes, I, I really do. Um, I have a little bit more trouble watching it if it's really dated. You know, quite often I'll find it on Lifestyle. If, look, look, if I can, um, I'll pull out the VPN and watch it on Channel V because it's all uh, Channel uh, 4 from the UK because there's also a great insight into what's happening on UK TV. And you and I need to be abreast of what's happening around the world. And one of the best ways to do that is to uh, watch the UK edition of Gogglebox. It seems to go out in the UK maybe on a Friday night, question mark. Um, but I know that, uh, you know, generally speaking on a weekend, if I can think of it and uh, look for it, I, I, I can watch it there. And quite often you'll see clips from dramas that are yet to come here to Australia. And it's just great. But there's a lot of news in there. Uh, and so that's what I find really hard about watching a dated version of it. You know, when you're talking about what Boris Johnson said about COVID in 2020, it's like, oh, I don't, I really don't need to hear any of that again. Um, but, yeah, it's a great show and they have some real characters. And like our version, some of the goggle boxes have gone on to, you know, fame and fortune in other celebrity reality shows. In fact, I, I seem to remember one of them winning I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, the British version, uh, Scarlet. So, yes, yeah, Scarlet Moffat. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's got its fans for sure. Yeah. The, um, gee, it's, it's hard keeping up with the content on streaming, isn't it? It's just yeah. so much stuff. Uh, it's just an avalanche of, of shows dropping all the time and you, you just do your best. You pick ones and, I mean, one I wandered on, you wrote about it a couple of weeks ago for Media Week, um, Pam and Tommy. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. I, my expectations were pretty low because the talking penis and all this, and I was thinking, uh, yeah, okay, do I, how, how good is it going to be, you know? Yeah. But, wow, I was really surprised. And, and Seth Rogen was the revelation for me. I, for, for me, that was the, it was almost the central part of that because in that I just assumed that um, Pam and Tommy, the sex tape, they might have leaked it for publicity, you know, it was all a bit of a bit of a put on. But no, here's this disgruntled carpenter who was working on um, the house Tommy Lee was constructing for himself and Pam, 
got the shits after sort of falling out with Tommy. Well, he didn't get paid. That's why he's disgruntled, right? Tommy yeah. didn't pay him. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think he stole his safe. Yeah. Right? Took his safe out into the bush or something. Yeah. Cracks it open and finds a video in there. <laughs> and then, you know, tries to, tries to make money um, distributing it. But this, the funniest part of it all is seeing him trying to stop the bootleg copies. Oh, hilarious. You know, he pulls up in a Tower Records car park <laughs> and there's a bloke selling the, out of the boot of his car, you know, the Pam and Tommy Lee sex tape. It's just great. Yeah, it's it's also really amazing because I ha- felt the same thing when I watched the recent Spice Girls documentary um, and it's sort of realising that, yeah, you're right, we really did judge Jerry Halliwell and probably there was a lot of that, a lot of that was misogyny and certainly with the Pamela Anderson thing, we're seeing in this that, you know, she was judged because she did Baywatch and was in a swimsuit and because she posed for Playboy, a lot of people were like, so what that your sex tapes out there? You do this sort of thing all the time. But Pam and Tommy is reminding us, no, they didn't leak it. It was something very private for them from their honeymoon. She is mortified by uh, it being out there. That scene where she stumbles upon upon the crew guys on the set of Baywatch watching it like, whoa, I mean, you know, it's really interesting looking at things from this perspective. Recent history that you realise, yeah, I probably judged her then. I I was like you. I was like, yeah, right, please, you guys leak this. But don't forget that we, we were hardwired to think that, these tapes were being hard, were being leaked because we had Paris Hilton around the same time and Kim Kardashian. Their tapes were also being leaked in inverted commas. And look at the huge careers they got off the back of that. The thing about Pamela Anderson was she didn't need to leak her own tape. She was already a big star. So that's why it's really interesting re-watching this history from a perspective of 2022. Yeah. Of course, um uh- Pam and Tommy's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, it's on their Star, the sort of separate platform there, and you can understand why Disney wanted to break out Star <laughs> as sort of an adult uh, home for content because you wouldn't want people tuning in for the family movies to no. accident, accidentally click on um, Pam and Tommy, I guess. Yeah. But, but you might have remembered um, two-thirds of the way through 2021, a Media Week ranked the streaming platforms under sort of essential. And what was essential? It wasn't really, they're all priced generally much the same. So it was, what should you get in order? You know, and we, I put binge up as number one. I thought, look, for the value, 10 bucks a month and for the breadth of the content. Yeah. It's probably worthy of top spot. I put Netflix at number two and Disney Plus was down towards the bottom of that top 10. My, uh, in my own defence, I'll say, look, it was still pretty new back then, okay? Yeah. But recently people are telling me Disney Plus should be number one. Wow. They're really, they really think it's that strong an offering now. So what shows are they talking about? Like I highly rate Pam and Tommy and the other one I highly rate on Star is Dope Sick with Michael Keaton, which is something I only got to finish over this summer. My God, every episode of that was just incredible television. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm going to have to spend because I I haven't been there a lot, to be honest, but a couple of things they've got coming out in the next um, 
just in the next week, I think it is really, that the West Side Story go, is being screened on um, March 2. That's yeah. the Spielberg cinema release. Yes. So that's what we're seeing, the, the big studios who are connected with the streaming platforms are now spinning the, they'll put it into the cinemas for a short first run yeah. and then they'll flip it over to the streaming service. Yeah, yeah. The other Streaming thing has I, become the new DVD window almost, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing I'm looking out for is The Dropout, which is Amanda Seyfried as um, Elizabeth Holmes. Now, Elizabeth Holmes was that biotech entrepreneur who just last month was convicted of uh, criminal fraud. So they've managed to sort of time that very well. Uh-huh. Um, of course, um, Holmes was first um, first charged back in 2018, so they've had a bit of time to develop the series and, and get it together, but I'm really looking forward to that. It's had some um, great previews, getting getting good, um, good word of mouth. And let's not forget, um, for all the fans of Marvel and Star Wars, I mean, all the series on Disney Plus like Loki, I mean, the book of... Boba Fett is number one everywhere. Yeah, so not my thing. I don't want to watch it. Um, But, you know, I've read some pretty harsh reviews of it that say it's a wasted opportunity. It's a spin-off of The Mandalorian. It's not a great show, but it doesn't seem to have affected those viewing numbers, James. It's, you know, when you print that list uh, about the top ten in subscription, it was right up there in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I mentioned Netflix then. You've um, you've been watching a bit of Inventing Anna yet? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I, You know, I watched a whole heap of shows last week for my column, watched a couple of episodes of each and tried to decide which one I would then go to to finish. And the one that really got me, and I, I wasn't ashamed, but, you know, it was Inventing Anna. It was the Sondra Rhimes show that, you know, it just kind of drew me in this 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 woman who's sitting in jail being interviewed by a journalist trying to find out the details of how she managed to swindle and con so many smart, rich people in high society in New York. It's based on a true story. I'm in there for the long run. And, uh, yeah, uh, at first I was watching it going, oh, God, I'm not going to watch this. This is complete rubbish. But the next thing I know, I was like going, I need to watch the whole thing and find out how she did it. Hmm. Inventing Anna. Yeah. Okay. So a few other things on um, that. The Tinder Swindler uh, doco has been getting a lot of a lot of coverage. A lot yep. of people are watching that. I watched the first episode. I'm, I've got to say, yeah, it was okay. But I, I could see how they're going to drag it out over a one of whatever it is, six, eight episodes. You know. Um, I, I might have been more thrilled to buy a drama, but just the factual thing where it's the talking yeah. heads to camera. Yeah. You know, it just I, I found it hard to concentrate. I mean, I'd like to see it all, but I haven't been back, to be honest. The, the other one you really need to watch, James, given your TV background, maybe we talked about on our last podcast, we need to talk about Cosby oh. on Paramount+. Plus. This um, look at... Cosby's career, which is so fascinating, the history of it. I really didn't know anything about his his, uh, impact in the 1960s. You know, I was only aware of the 70s with Fat Albert and all that. But to look at his career and, like, as a bio, as a biography, you're, like, going, wow. But then you're constantly reminded through it, 
But at the same time, he was drugging women and and assaulting them. And you realise, my God, he was even doing it from the early days. It's so shocking. And the fact that he was actually uh, almost, like so many of these people are, being quite blatant about it. There's an episode of The Cosby Show where he's drugging people in their drinks and making jokes about let to his wife, let's go upstairs, I've got a bottle of it beside the bedstand. It's like <laughs> right there. Yeah, so that is one that has to go on your list, James. Oh, I will. We need to I talk will. about Cosby. Uh, and another doco, um, this time back on Netflix, is the Andy Warhol Diaries. Oh, wow. I've got, I, I, I will just eat that up when I notice it there. Um, I'm a big, big fan of Andy Warhol and, uh, you know, the stuff he did. I, I watched recently on Apple TV Plus, I watched the documentary of The Velvet Underground by Todd Haynes, yep. you know, and he's an indie filmmaker and he did this doc, doco on that band that was just so unlike any other music doco I'd seen before and such a hugely uh, influential band. I actually went to see John Cale and Lou Reed when I was living in Canada. I flew down to Brooklyn to see them reunite and do tracks from the Velvet Underground in about maybe 1990 from memory. Okay, um, so, yeah, to see this documentary on the Velvet Underground, wow. I mean, anyone connected with Andy Warhol's factory i'm there for and uh yeah i can't wait to watch that show yeah so six episodes screening on march 9 i'll yeah. quickly tell you my andy warhol story i might have said this before no i've not heard this there was a thing in new york used to be called the new york or was it no the new music seminar it was was when that sort of um was in the 80s it was post-punk and it was sort of i don't know it was just a lot of new music was coming out of and and that, it was like a, there was sort of music showcases all around the city. There was like a um, uh, sort of sessions at, at a, um, what do you call it? It's a word, I'm like a, not a convention, a, um, but anyway, sessions where famous people would get up and there'd be panels and all stuff like this. Right. Um, and then I, so I, I paid my own coin. I got over there Um what got to a few sessions and I was walking through the lobby at one of the venues and there was a big crowd and here's Andy Warhol standing there with a big stack of his interview magazines, like nearly as big as he was, signing them and handing them out. What? <laughs> Did you get one? Yeah, so I got in line and um, and got up to him and he signed it quickly and he wasn't talking or saying anything but but I was very happy to, to get one of those and, and back in the day, Interview was a great big, thick magazine. You know, large for A3, yep. really thick. So it was a, um, it was quite a keepsake. And I've, I've tried to keep it pristine ever since then. Hello, I'd be framing that if I was you. That is collectors. I, I always kick myself because the first time I went to New York in the 80s, I was at a place and they had a Campbell's soup uh-huh. uh, can label autographed by Andy Warhol in a frame, and I think it was $165, which was a lot of money back in the 80s, and I was like, oh, I can't afford to buy that. And then he died, and I was like, oh, my God, I should have bought that. I loved him so much. Why don't I have that memory of him? Yeah. A couple other things coming on um, Netflix in uh, March. Uh, Tony Collette seems very busy. She's always got dramas popping up, hasn't she? Yeah. She's in something called Pieces of Her 
don't know a lot about it. I just came across it today. Uh, it's premiering on March 4. So look right. out for that one. And the second season of Bridgerton at the end of March, uh, yeah. eight episodes coming March 25. Yes, with the story focus moving to a different member of the family. So we know that uh, that actor is not coming back. He was only signed to one season. That seems very strange to me that you'd have your romantic lead only signed to one series, but he's not coming back. But Sondra Rhimes says, not worried about it. The plan for Bridgerton always was that each season would focus on a different member of the same family. So, uh, you know, the fans will come flocking back even though they're missing their favourite. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it got some, did had some amazing traction that um, that first season for sure, and lo- lots of discussion. It was a, a really interesting take on sort of English period drama, which we'd only ever really seen through a very English lens, hadn't we? Yeah. So it was nice having somebody else doing a sort of version of it. And don't forget that Netflix dropped that on Christmas Day, and that to me was the most clever thing they did. That is the perfect thing to watch if you're at home with your family and you had a, you know, a mum and a grandmum and you're like, let's watch this period piece and oh, they'd be a bit shocked by how raunchy it was. That was just great Christmas Day program, holiday programming, very clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, another streaming service is Amazon Prime and an old favourite of ours, has returned um, the amazing Mrs. Maisel. The marvellous. The marvel. I keep calling it amazing. Yeah. Marvellous. And they only dropped two episodes. I said I would binge the whole thing in one episode. There were only two and I was, I was a bit disappointed, James. That first episode I was just sitting there going, when is something wonderful going to happen? What's happened to this show? Because normally every season opener, I'm always struck by, wow, look at this amazing crane shot. Look at this musical number. Look at this location. It's like they're spending more and more money on it every year, whereas this was a very subdued season opener. And it wasn't until the second episode that I felt the wheels starting to uh, really grind on it when they had this ridiculous scene where they all went to Coney Island and they're all on the Ferris wheel on that big wheel and they're all having a fight with each other. Everyone was in a different compartment and they're all screaming um, abuse at each other on this Ferris wheel. And it's like, okay, there, there's the marvellous Mrs. Maisel I know and love. Okay. Well, it looks like there's going to be another two eps will be out at the end of the week we're recording this. Um, two more on March 4. The final two of what looks like an eight-episode season about March 11. Yeah. So lots of lots of two keeping you coming back. Um, look, I think we're nearly sort of all done. I've got one thing I want to end with, a show I'm I'm really sort of dying to see because I've been reading a lot about its new season in the UK. But have you got anything you wanted to sort of finish up well- on? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I'll be talking about Tropo in my Media Week column on Friday, the new Australian drama that begins on ABC on Sunday night. And the week after that, it'll be Mardi Gras, so I will do my annual Mardi Gras-themed list and talk a lot about Euphoria, the HBO drama set in a high school, which in its second season is just... I think, soaring into the stratosphere. I don't think it could be more buzzy. There's an article in the Sydney Morning Herald today about the makeup and how uh, the makeup trends in euphoria are driving massive sales uh, in the US. This this is like the most no-holds-barred show on TV. I think there's, there's euphoria and everything else below it. It's 
outrageous some of the stuff they're doing they are just going hell to the leather um so i'll write more about that next week i literally dropped everything uh, several people said to me have you been watching season two and i'm like well i i watched series one i haven't caught up and they're like no you need to watch series two and then i started watching I was like oh my god so yeah that's that's my tip okay before the my, the show i'm i'm hanging out for i wanted to mention too byron bays is finally coming that if you like controversial um, Netflix yeah. series, uh, March 9, that's going to drop, and they revealed the full cast this week. Um, yeah. Carl Quinn had an interesting piece in The Age about it. He, he said it's um, very trashy and possibly very addictive. So oh. he's written a bit about it. The, the controversy, you sort of wonder if it might have been, you know, if that's going to help the show. I think it probably will, you know, because... Otherwise, it might have passed pretty much um, unnoticed. Well, you know, the Byron Bay locals don't watch, the, don't want the show, and that's what the oh. controversy was about. But everybody else is like, whatever, show us the show. So, <laughs> yeah, it just gives them a, a, a something that they might leave out of their publicity. But yeah, it's certainly driven a bit of brand recognition uh, with uh, what went on there. Yeah, I mean, I've got a feeling. I mean, now and, and you look back at it and you go and think, oh, look, people in Byron, don't be so precious, you know. I mean, I know. we know it's a nice spot, but don't carry on as if it's, yeah. you know, the, the Garden of Eden that, you know, yeah. no one else has got a right to hang out there. You know, yeah, yeah. Give us a break. You um, don't like Instagrammers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, look, the show I really want to watch is Meet the Richardsons, it's called. Yeah. It's a sort of, um, it's a, a reality sort of docudrama about a real-life married couple, John Richardson and Lucy Beaumont, a couple of English comedians, and it's about sort of what their life could be like together. So it's fictionalised, but the interesting thing is they really are married. So John Richardson, you, you'd probably know him from 8 Out of 10 Cats and Would I Lie to You. He's done about a decade on... Um, the um, eight out of ten cats. He's done about five years on Would I Lie to You. Very funny guy. Um, and Lucy Beaumont, she's a um, stand-up English comedian. I think she does a bit more stand-up than probably her husband does. But you'd see her pop up on things like QI. She's yep. also been on Eight Out of Ten Cats. She's got her own series in production. But yeah, that's screened on Dave. I think it's a commission. For the sort of it's a it was a male skewed channel originally, Dave in the UK. I think it's just more of a comedy channel nowadays. It screens a lot of uh, repeats of comedies and panel shows that screen on BBC One and and uh, maybe ITV, but it also has its own original commissions, and this is one of them. But season three has just dropped in the UK. It's getting such good reviews. I just okay. I've sort of missed. I didn't know about it really until I'd read about this. I think people had told me about it, but it hadn't really sunk in. But this just sounds so funny. So I'm, I'm now. If it is on here, please um, let's know. Drop <laughs> us a, drop us an email to editor at mediaweek.com.au and I'll search it out. But um, this sounds brilliant, so I'm really looking forward to catching up on that. And you mentioned something in there that we should probably sign off from. You mentioned Would I Lie to You and the Australian version of it begins on Channel 10 on Monday night, hosted by Chrissy Swan. Looks like lots of good guests, judging by the promos. Uh, if anyone's going to do this well, I think it'll be 10. Right. They do, they do panel shows so well, James. They have such 
everyone on their panel shows are so likable. They work because of their likability. So uh, I reckon it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. And look, uh, yeah, it's being made by Endemol Shine Australia. Um, I, I got to chat to the uh, chief executive not long ago. They've actually, I think they've finished filming it all. Uh, he said his favourite format of everything is Would I Lie to You? And he thinks they've done a great job on um, the Australian edition. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one too. Yeah. All right, Andrew, thank you for that. Look, lots to watch there and um, we'll try and get together again in the not-too-distant future and uh, with another batch of good stuff. Thank you, James. Have a great week watching TV. Thank you. Bye-bye.